I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side as you do. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Polish Presents Pictures Power. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. I just want to retcon hello there. Uh, and I am Bartek, <laughs> the other host. <laughs> hello there, yes. Uh, how could I? We fucked it up already. I should have. We all should have said it like that. Far out. Yeah. You got it. So, Pictures Power, Ryan Bartek here. Uh, spin Polish. Always spitting, always Polish. And I'm Bartek Ryan. And I'm Bartek Ryan and Ryan Bartek. And, uh, you're both. And, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and you're the listening people. Uh, so we are doing Pictures Power, the show in which we cover a movie that's come recommended. This episode has been a movie recommended by myself. Next yes. episode will be one from the listening people. And then the one after that is from Bartek. So that's kind of like the, the and then rhythm after of that things. Ryan. And yeah, so we go on those three. This episode, I rec- for this episode, I recommended a little-known film. Very, very small filmmaker made yeah. it. Yeah. Like, literally, he is very short. Um, George Lucas's masterpiece, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Didn't bother to think what year it came out. Can't 2005. Remember. I was going to say 2006. So I was going to be like, eh, is it 2006? 2005. 2005. So that, this is the movie we're covering. We're going to get in-depth. We're going to talk about uh, all the stuff in here. For people who are concerned about spoilers, we are going to be mentioning stuff from the original trilogy and from the prequels. But we're going to not really talk about the new set of trilogies, especially The Rise of Skywalker, outside of just this statement of, does The Rise of Skywalker undermine Anakin's prophecy? Yes, it does. And that's all I need to say. Like, like that's all. That's yeah. all needs to be said. Like, that's it. Like, also, I haven't seen eight and nine, so I couldn't do it anyway. No, exactly. But I have, and people yeah. might be curious of like, are we going to talk about the spoilers of that? No, not really. Other than just, we all know that Palpatine is in the new movie, and just purely his existence undermines the prophecies set up in this prequel trilogy. And that's that's it. Like, yeah. why am I? Why we're not going to discuss it? Like I said. Bartek hasn't seen it. Spoilers, but also, like, for me, I just don't find for this specific discussion, for this specific movie and this trilogy, really that overall constructive to really mention the shortcomings or the the missteps of the new trilogy, because that's what people primarily would want to hear. They're going to want to hear how the new trilogy of movies undermines the legacy of the previous trilogies, and I don't really find don't that need, as yeah. constructive for, for this discussion. While with the prequels... I do find it constructive to talk about how it undermines the originals and yeah. that. For, we're talking, for this. we're bringing in the context of the past, not the context of the future. Exactly. So, uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, big movie when it came out. Uh, it's got a big legacy as being considered. I don't think this is a, a big statement. The best of the prequels, the one that many mm. people consider to be a redeemable movie. And, yeah. you, and you said it's also. 
even in with the context of the future, it's the best ending to one of the trilogies. Yeah, I would say like for 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 most people, it's like narratively probably one of the more satisfying final chapters in the Star Wars trilogy sagas. Like Return of the Jedi is really good too, but like mm. it has a lot of shit in it, and I think it's the problem of the prequels are measured on a curve, as are all series of movies and the original trilogy of movies are measured on a curve as well and when you look at return of the jedi all the dumb shit in return of the jedi seems really dumb and bad in comparison to the previous two movies Mm -hmm. and that is the opposite with revenge of the sith where all the great stuff all the good or competent stuff is measured much higher because of the shit of the two movies before so on a level Revenge of the Sith seems like, from most people, like uh, uh, it's the more satisfying or one of the more satisfying conclusions in a Star Wars saga. So you're saying if we if we put aside uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, the curve kind of like starts at the top and just goes down once we get to six. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe I don't know. It's weird. So it's I'm, just... I'm I'm trying to visualize the curve in my head. I'm talking about t- curve of um. Not quality necessarily, but more about how fans uh, dogpile on negatives and positives. Oh, okay, all right. Fan reactions. Fans' reactions okay. of things. Like, I'm not actually saying that Revenge of the Sith is a better narrative ending, but I'm talking about conceptually for most people, like pop culture wise. It's like since these prequels are measured on such curves of quality and discussion of like Jar Jar Binks exists and like yeah. this. This is what we were talking about in the episode. I should I should have realized that because I brought this up talking about reaction. So, exactly. Yeah. So it's all fine. This is what we're going to be talking about. Like I mentioned this at the end of the last episode. We're going to try and talk about Revenge of the Sith as uh, is this a movie that is a genuinely good movie or is it one that's measured on such a curve? Is this a movie that's more than a meme machine or is it a good bad movie or is it a genuinely satisfying narrative in its own right and as a final chapter of the trilogy, because Bartek, uh, over the last week, has watched the whole prequel trilogy. I did not. I said very much outright, I'm not doing that. I've lived through the prequels enough in my life, and I know for a fact that I wouldn't get satisfied with it, and I would have just wasted my time. But I know that, uh, Bartek, you brought it up last episode, that oh, like, maybe one of us should, and maybe we could do it. And I was like, yeah, maybe you could check it out. Like, yeah. I, I haven't really heard your opinions on the prequel trilogies as a whole. You've heard mine over the years. Yeah, it's been a const- it's been a recurring discussion, despite the fact neither of us are too passionate about the franchise. Well, let's talk about that first. What is our history and relationship with the Star Wars franchise and uh, the prequels in, in specifics as well? You know, like... In general. So with me, it's something that I've been aware of my whole life, but I didn't watch any of the films until maybe like mid-teenage years. Okay. So these these six films were already done by the time I watched them. At some point, even I think before I watched any of the films... I got, uh, for Christmas, a Star Wars Battlefront 2 for PS2 game. Mm. And even though I wasn't into Star Wars, I really, really liked that game. So I was a bit familiar with a lot of the locations and the universe through that game alone and the characters. Um, But I didn't have an idea of like, oh, these locations are, you know, from a prequel era and these are from a future era. So when I did end up watching the films, it was basically adding context to all these like random tidbits of information I knew. 
Um, and as for how I felt about the films, I don't have a super passionate, you know, feeling of fandom for it. I, mm. I see them more as just films I've seen and I'm compelled to, you know, talk about them uh, when they're brought up simply because other people, you know, are so mm. obsessed with them and they've been discussed so heavily. I was going to ask as a follow-up, but you kind of answered it of like, do you have a relation? Would you say that your relationship with these movies of of one of a personal one, or do you think they were heavily influenced by the greater discussion? And that's kind of what you're saying. Like, yeah. it seems like the only reason you've ever thought about Star Wars out again, outside of maybe playing a game again or seeing iconography in other media or just watching a Star Wars movie, is because of how heavily discussed the media of Star Wars is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very similar. Uh, well, similar and different. Well, you've like, always got that one preface of, I like this thing. More. Well, well, <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars. I've seen them all. Uh, I've seen the Clone Wars series in parts. I've seen the Clone Wars, whatever that is it called, Clone Wars, the one that was done by the guy who did Samurai Jack. I've seen a lot of Star Wars media, if not all of it, in some way, okay, shape, or form at some point. Mm. I haven't seen Solo, a Star Wars story, and that's fine with me. Um, my relationship with Star Wars is I like Star Wars. I do. I do really, really do enjoy the original trilogy of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. That's what I enjoy. I like those movies. I grew up watching them. I've enjoyed them. I also grew up with the prequels as well. I had never seen any Star Wars movie until these new movies in the cinema. Uh, I never saw those prequel movies because as a child, I wasn't interested in the prequel movies and my parents weren't really invested in taking me to them. There were those big movies that as as a kid, I personally wasn't as invested in continuing or starting. Like I only saw the first two Harry Potter movies in the cinema when I was a kid and I lost investment in them. That's just me. Uh, but uh, Bartek hinted, I'm a big fan of Star Wars Enemy, Star Trek, I've talked about it on the show, but I'm very much in the camp of, I don't think it's fair to have this pissing war between Star Wars and Star Trek. I think they're both fun sci-fi media, one's sci-fi fantasy, one's more pure sci-fi, sci-fi bureaucracy, one's about war, one's about diplomacy. Not saying that neither of those ones delve into the other's things, like Star Trek has wars in it, and Star Wars has democracy in it. And diplomacy, yes. And liberty. And liberty. Um, and an empire. Um, and a senate. And a first order. But uh, I have had that relationship with Star Wars in which I only like a few of them. Three. <laughs> and I don't even really care for them as much. I'm not a diehard fan, but I just like them. But I've always liked Star Trek more because there's more of it. Mm -hmm. And through sheer volume, that means there's more quality. That also means there's lots of crap in Star Trek. And I think that's like the big thing that I love about Star Trek and Star Trek fandom. That's the thing about Star Wars that has always pushed me away. You have to be a fan of it, it feels like. If you're not a mm, fan yeah. of Star Wars then you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a kid. Like, I've had a lot of that in my life. Well, with Star Trek, what I love about Star Trek is, as a fan, you can, for the most part, critique the shit out of Star Trek. And there's so much shit in Star Trek that is stupid and dumb and bad. And 
you could say this to other trek trekkies or trekkers and they can just sit back and go yeah that was fucking shit and dumb but i live in this age now in which i've talked negatively about the prequels and believe me we will talk negatively about the prequels and this particular movie but there'll be positives too but i've had people give me pushback about the prequels and i just sit here going but they're like objectively on filmmaking level bad they're incompetently shot and acted and special effects like all these things and they're like but i grew up with it and you're wrong and i'm like yeah but i grew up with star trek too but i also <laughs> think wesley crush is a shit character so that's kind of my relationship with this uh this franchise of films the star wars films i will say out of all the prequels i had a vivid memory of seeing revenge of the sith it was like the one out of those that I, I, I remembered my first viewing experience and it actually stuck with me. Like, the film stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Which is not what happened with the other ones in the prequels. What about you? When you sat down and watched the prequels, yeah, what was your feeling? Because you saw them in your teenage years where they had already come out. I don't know if you had already been infected by the pop culture sphere vibe of these were terrible. Because when we were in our teens... When the prequels came out and when they, before these new set of movies and before a certain time, it was all pretty much established that everyone agreed that they were bad. You know what? I For the think, most part, like there was obviously exceptions. I think for the most part, that notion was over my head. I just had a general idea that the original films were better. Okay. I think that was the case. Yeah. So when you did watch the prequels for that first time and when you watched them again for this episode, what were your feelings? The first time through, I didn't really think about them too much. I just watched them on a surface level being like, oh, that one's all right, that one wasn't that great, this one was, you know, the best one of the three. Mm. Um, attack the clones. Attack the <laughs> <laughs> Upon rewatch, um, honestly, I was I was fine with Phantom Menace. I know there are things to criticise for it, but I... <laughs> the racism, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. It was, no, it was a race, not a racism. Okay, sure. sure, um, sure. That was more Attack of the Clones, too, <laughs> with racism. Uh, yeah, Phantom Menace I was alright with. Attack of the Clones, there were some things I liked, but there were some things, obviously, that you know were not great. And this oh, Romance. <laughs> th that was exactly it. Um, and this one, yeah, I, I had an alright time with it. There were, you know, I was looking forward to seeing certain elements of it because of <laughs> the Emperor. Yeah. meme culture <laughs> these days, and... Even outside of the Emperor, individual lines that mm. I really didn't even, I think, about when I first watched it. Um, so, yeah, it, it was actually interesting. And overall, I actually had a good time revisiting the whole trilogy. Oh, I'm really surprised because a uh, little FYI, Bartek, you Facebook messaged me a screenshot of you, of like a bit you were watching. Yeah. And it was like a joke because one of our friends the other week said that the Yoda the Yoda fight in Attack the Clones was, like, the best fight scene in the trilogy, or, like, one of the best. And I'm like, mm. we're all like, wait, isn't that considered, like, one of the worst ever? And you screenshotted me, like, a bit from the, the second movie, and it was really funny. It was, like, some stupid bit. And with no context, like, just this. And I'm just like, oh, Bartek's yeah. suffering. Because usually oh, no, you no, screenshot <laughs> me something and send it to me to let me know you're suffering. Rarely does Bartek ever let me know he is currently watching the thing. He usually only screenshot, like, sends me a message about it when there's it the is... sense subtext of, I'm in pain right now. That's not what it was at all, though. Like, I admit that is the part I was up to when I screenshotted it, but it's because we had that conversation about how only one character has forced lightning, and I was showing you, no, no, this other character has it too. Uh, yes, yes. I forgot that Count Dooku had forced lightning. But yeah. then, uh, yeah, so Revenge of the Sith, 
um, final entry into the prequels, the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker, becoming the journey of him becoming Darth Vader, also the birth of uh, heroes in the next, in the original trilogy of movies, with Leia and Luke, and, and oh, Darth Vader gets born at the same time they do, and oh, the Emperor gets born in this movie too, like, you know, like, it's a lot of rebirth and birth. The, the ending after... Uh, the ending act of this film is a lot of setup for something that was made decades prior. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, um, sounds like you enjoyed this movie this time around. Uh, did you genuinely enjoy it? Like, as a genuine piece of media? Hmm. Or because it's bad and funny? Uh, I think maybe I should clarify when I say enjoy. It was like I, I didn't really have any... You know, extreme negatives or anything like that. It was just like, oh yeah, that was fine. Yeah, I had an all right time watching them. It's it's not like you know, I, I don't have the passionate hate boner, but also I'm not a passionate defender of these films. No, yeah. but with this specific film, this mm. one's we both know this. This one's this one's pretty lauded as a pretty high rating. Mm-hmm. It's considered to be the best. It's got a lot of dark elements that we haven't seen in Star Wars before, like lots of murder, lots of death, the younglings, and, you know, like, all this epic, epic stuff that people would describe as, like, a, a tragedy, an epic story of of demise and mm. despair and death and politics finally paying off in a Game of Thrones fashion in which the Emperor's plan all comes together and it's brilliantly like a jigsaw puzzle being put together. Did you feel that... I think maybe when I first watched it, I felt it more than I did now. I do enjoy, you know, a betrayal in a story, especially mm. one that has lasted, you know, like six hours, because these films are all over two hours long. Yeah. Um, which I completely forgot about that mm. when I started watching. I'm like, wait, Phantom Man is over two hours? What about the other ones? They're also... Yeah. Um, on, the, on that level, I appreciated, you know, seeing a representation of a big betrayal. Um, but then again, when I think back on the film... I read somewhere online someone said like, "Oh, he was he did the betrayal halfway through, but it was I think way over halfway through when mm. it happened." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It, when I think back on the film, it's it's really crazy because there's like there's arcs in the film. Like at the beginning, it's completely different from how it is at the end. So that that's that's interesting. They guess, followed through about. is what you're saying in this particular film. They followed through. They followed through on character arcs and development oh, yes, yes. in this film yes, is what you're true. stating. Yep. Which, is that a problem in the other two? I want to give you a quick quiz round of how you felt about the other two, because I don't want it for you to have watched those for nothing. Okay, <laughs> give sure. Give me your quick kind of, like, feelings about those two, if you like. Did those other t- two not feel like they followed through in character arcs in a satisfying way like this one? With Attack of the Clones, I feel like there are a lot of, there are a you know, fair number of things you can point at to connect to this film. You know, a lot of setup things, little lines that have mm. a payoff in a this. A necklace. The necklace, I think, is from Phantom Menace. Okay, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it is. Child Child Annie gave it to her. Uh, um, uh, General Grievous, of course, was in the Titan Clones, <laughs> right? Um, although with... with um, No, he wasn't. With, uh, I know, I'm being smart. <laughs> with Phantom Menace, that one really does kind of feel like an outlier. It feels like it's too far back. <laughs> And I know that there's been a whole, like, you know, big analysis, especially with, like, Red Letter Media, about how that film doesn't really have a protagonist, mm. and uh, it doesn't connect to the whole trilogy that much in many instances. mostly about Palpatine and just, like, how Anakin, you know, was brought into the big picture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So I'd, I'd say, in terms of this trilogy, that first film's an interesting prologue in a way. It, it, it like is connected, but also it's so far back ten years that mm. it 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 really does stick out as kind of like a. Oh, only a few things in this two-hour film are relevant. So, uh, I will ask you this. So, this movie opens up with... War! <laughs> it does, yes. <laughs> um, one word exclamation. War! Um, which is cheesy and great. But one thing I want to ask you is, uh, the character of Count Dooku mm-hmm. kidnaps the mm. Chancellor. This is said in the text crawl. Yeah. We know that dooku works for palpatine because palpatine is darth sidious yeah he knows this too there are always two sith uh, lords and it's them two well at the time yes he is a sith lord at that point right because he's an apprentice isn't he yeah yeah there's, there's a master and it's, apprentice it's all whatever but what i was gonna ask was because i haven't watched the attack of the clones or whatever but like uh why did dooku I know it says in the crow he kidnaps him, but like, why did he do that? Why did Dooku kidnap Palpatine? What was the end goal there? Yeah, because th- Palpatine betrays him. Because Palpatine's plan is to turn Anakin over, but it was Palpatine the one to suggest that Dooku, you kidnap me, for what purpose? What was Dooku's? What was happening there? I think I think yeah, the big big discussion that people have about the prequels is like what exactly. Palpatine's plan was like obviously it's get more power, start mm. an empire, and get you know super apprentice. Um, but the big thing is like what are the specific like micro plans that lead up to it? And yeah, the, with with being kidnapped here, I guess the the most generous answer we can give is that he knew the nuances of how the events were going to unfold. Specifically, I guess the key event would be. Anakin doing the really dark thing of decapitating. You're talking Dooku? about Palpatine, but what did Dooku? Oh, Dooku, right. What did he want? For, like, what was his thing here? Because, right. like, why did he kidnap Palpatine? What did he get out of this? What was his goal? What was his end thing here? What was he doing? Like, I was just thinking, like, maybe because Attack of the Clones, maybe something was filled in there that I'm not knowing here. So, so I always, the I'm context... not critique, just to say, I'm not critiquing the fact that this Star Wars movie opens up halfway through a piece yeah, of yeah, action. Yeah. That's what they all do. I get it. But usually I can understand how we got here and what so why, think... what we're doing here, but I don't know why Dooku did this. Maybe someone knows, but Bartek, do you? Uh, just to just to talk out of my head for a moment. The, so the context of the two sides in the war are the Republic and the Separatists. I believe... <laughs> the it... Nemoinians. <laughs> I believe the, the whole deal, and this was explained, I think, in the opening crawl of the second film, was that... The, the galaxy is basically the Republic and the Outer Rim, which are mm-hmm. places that aren't connected to the Republic. Yeah. And various places in the Republic want out of the Republic, and Dooku's in charge of all of those. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I and I think... And, and then through the process of the second film, the war begins, the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. which that's a subplot. Yeah, the, the fact that there are clones that doesn't get followed through on. Yeah, if they have clones, here's me being CinemaSins, ding! <laughs> if they have clones, why do they use cybernetic parts to... Like, why can't they just grow hands to attach 
If they have clones. Yeah, do they ever talk about the cloning process? I, they just I mean, isn't that clones. most of the second movie is like, we've got clones. Here they are. Yeah, Django I, I, Fett. I forgot about the details of that. So basically it was that um, the only reason Obi-Wan went to that cloning facility on Kamino was because the assassin who tried to kill Padme left behind something that indicated that it was made on that planet. So he literally just went there to be like, hey, is there a bounty hunter here that had this thing? And then he was greeted by these aliens that were like, ah, Jedi, finally you're here. <laughs> Dude, we've been working your clones for the past 10 years. You're here to inspect them. And Obi-Wan's like, what clones? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why I'm here. So we don't really understand what Dooku gets out of this, other than like we know we know that he's in charge of these separatists or whatever, and that's a part of the Sith plan to chuck chaos into the works. Yeah. But like him kidnapping Palpatine, I think it's weird because Ian McDermott's such a great performer mm. as Palpatine that I genuinely don't. I know this is weird to say. He's genuinely great performer, but the context of the scene undermines it. Of I don't know if Palpatine was master in charge of having himself kidnapped or if Dooku betrayed him and he was genuinely kidnapped because yeah. Ian McDermott is playing it yeah, so straight-faced. And it's very Even clear. though he, that's the scene where he goes, do it, and yeah. kill him. But and like, it's, Yeah, it's very clear that Ian, uh, that Palpatine is doing a betrayal. He's like, kill him now. And Dooku looks at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, aren't we, aren't we in this together? Like, that's the kind of look, that's yeah. the kind of impression I got. Um, I guess what I was trying to say earlier was that in some way that isn't fully explained, that was part of the separatist cause. But then also, what's what's the big picture Palpatine motivation behind it all? Well, here's yeah. what I can say about what I remember from the prequels and Palpatine's giant plan. Hmm. Um, I think he does what a lot of dictators that go around it in this way do. He doesn't have the Fidel Castro where he leads an army and takes over and then he refuses to leave. Um, he does what a lot of other dictators do, which is he's a part of the system, and he, in since he's a Sith, he incites a lot of these small, seemingly small or seemingly dangerous situations, so that they can give him more power. But like, what he specifically does is he takes the most minute amount of power and just collectively like has yeah, yeah. a bunch of them. Literally, and, it's... and then eventually, like, he has all the power, yeah, and that's one... kind of like what his plan is: is just like come across as a good guy who just is like seemingly taking minute amount of power and reluctantly doing it until eventually he's the only one that one can yeah. trust it's and he literally, gets all the power. Yeah, it's literally film one. There's someone in the position he wants. He's orchestrated this whole trade federation blockade thing. Mm. Uh, vote of no confidence. Palpatine, you're in that position now. Movie two, uh, there's a war starting, and it would be really helpful for us if we gave this guy in this position just a little bit more power for the duration of the war. Jar Jar argues mm. that, and they give it to him. Uh, movie three is, hey, when Grievous dies, the war ends, which means your power is gone. Uh, mm. And Palpatine orchestrates a thing where it's like, no, they've betrayed me. You should let me keep the power, and also I'm the most powerful now. Yeah, but because I'm the Senate, and you guys have tried to assassinate me, and you've gone away from the what well, I'm doing, which is I'm working, I'm working my evil Sith ways through the system of democracy by corrupting it. But you are using your Jedi ways and going outside of the democracy to assassinate me, and, and that's you made me a big, look ugly. And you and you <laughs> did this to me, <laughs> disfigured me. But like, here's my big thing with this movie. I hated the Jedi so much. But there was many points where I go, okay, Star Wars is a 
series of films in which they've got the you know the the good side and the bad side, the the light and the dark. And this series of films, these prequels, want a gray, make a gray area, but also it doesn't. There's so many times in this particular film that I'm just like, but Palpatine's right, mm. but then he's like an evil demon man, and you're getting this juxtaposition of, but wait, he is right, but he's clearly evil. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you can't have a clearly evil person having a, a a correct opinion on something, but the movie itself is like, but no, 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 no. It's the Jedi that are right. But the Jedi are wrong so much. It, yeah, there's the whole... Morally, ethically, justice-wise. Like, when Mace Windu tries to kill Palpatine, like, when Anakin makes his case, I'm just like, this is one of the few times where I go, yeah, Anakin's right. Bring this guy to justice. And he is like... Nah, he's too powerful to live, and he just tries to kill him. Like, where did this come from? There are even where t- did this come from 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 Mace Windu? There are even times where, even though Anakin's like being swayed to Palpatine's side, there are times where he doesn't do something for the Jedi because he thinks that's going against what they themselves should be believing. Like, that's and, not that's not the Jedi way. And he's right a lot of the time, but the problem is he's a he's a whiny bitch about it, and that's like yeah. the big problem. But there was that period of time where it's like he wants to be a master. And he should rightfully be one. Like, he should rightfully be one. There's no justification. And Obi-Wan gives him, like, this death stare, like, you fucking piece of shit. And I'm like, you guys just had a conversation in which you were like, I believe that you're one of the greatest Jedis and you will most likely be a master soon. And there he is sitting there going, he wants to be a master soon? That fucking piece of shit. I'm like, Obi-Wan, you're his brother. You love him, right? (laughs) There's a lot of times in the the second and third film where it's it's Anakin talking about how I'm really talented and I I can do all this, but you know I'm I'm really emotional I guess and that's holding me back and the the, the bias against him is also because the Jedi don't like human nature. <laughs> they don't like human nature and they're also like really iffy about the whole fact that he started his Jedi training when he was too old, age nine. Yeah, yeah. Can we... Which builds into this like child soldier thing. Like the perfect mm-hmm. Jedi is one... That's what I literally was going to say. Oh. <laughs> one of the weird issues that the prequels brought into Star Wars is, is Star Wars Nazi iconography is very prevalent. World War II iconography is very prevalent for very obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. The prequels, unfortunately, bring in the um, eugenics angle. <laughs> and since this is a film series that's really about anti-fascism, it is also very pro-fascism. And unfortunately, the new trilogy of movies kind of double down on that. But in weird ways... But I won't get into that. But it's very odd. Like, the Jedi are good guys, but they've got basically their own equivalent of the Nazi youth, in which they're indoctrinating children into their ideal belief system and stripping them away of individualism. Yeah, and I guess... And that's supposed and, to be great. And for the for the, for the the audience, um, you're coming out of the original trilogy where the whole idea with Luke being trained was that he's meant to revive the Jedi Order, was it? Mm. So you kind of walk in with a, with a pre-established bias of like, okay, well, the Jedi must be good. They do all this weird stuff. It's like, yeah, but... They must be good, right? And they they just, do. They do blood tests. They just and... keep doing more and more like iffy, bad stuff, and it's like, but they're meant to be good, right? And it's just so confusing because then it's like we've got the clones, right? And these are genetically 
mutated, modified, enhanced creatures, <coughs> eugenics. Yeah. And the only one that isn't is Boba. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, you got these creatures of, you know, eugenics basically. They've chosen the perfect specimen. Mm-hmm. And the Jedi in this movie have accepted them and love them. And they're like working with them and they're like these guys are great. And it's like, yeah, Obi Wan's like feels big like, pals with one of them. It feels like no, you shouldn't. Like you should be anti-fascism, and a part of fascism is this whole idea of genetic purity. And here we are with the Jedi, who are all about genetic purity, like genetic perfection, working with literal super soldiers who will become eventually stormtroopers. I know they do away with clones or whatever, but like they're the prelude to the second stormtroopers, which are from Nazi iconography. The and second it's so film. <laughs> weird to see a master Jedi just working happily with genetically modified supermen that are the ideal specimens for Nazi empire. The it's s- so odd. The second film literally ends because like it's the big battle on Geonosis, you know, the Coliseum and all mm-hmm. that. Um, with like, oh yeah, th- those clones really s- kind of saved the day by the end. And then the last shot is Palpatine looking over them while the Empire March is playing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, remember these, don't forget, these guys are going to become bad. Yeah, I'm not saying we can't have dramatic irony, but it's like no, the I know, Jedi yeah. are so... Twistedly bad. Like, Mace Windu is a dick in this movie. And that's what I mean. Like, when they go to Palpatine and they're going to kill him, Anakin makes a very legitimate case. Yet, he's the one. Anakin's the one who's supposed to be um, twisting. Hot-headed. But he's supposed to be the one who's straying away from the Jedi path. Not Mace Windu. Shouldn't the scene be the other way around? Like, wouldn't it make more sense if hot-headed Anakin didn't listen and tried to arrest Palpatine himself? And he sort of was in the previous encounter. Yeah, he was like, I should tell... Like, Mace Windu says, no, stay here. Wouldn't it have been making more sense if he went ahead and Mace Windu was there trying to stop him being like... Being a hypocrite, yeah. Mace Windu should have been like, think of the way of the Jedi, blah, 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 and it doesn't work. Yeah. But instead, but it's they the other way to, around. Yeah, they wanted to do an allusion to Return of the Jedi. And they wanted a so. twist. They wanted the little, oh my god, they Mace wa- Windu died, they like wanted the hero the, died. They wanted the official turn to be like, a, oh, you killed Samuel Jackson. No, <laughs> my hands. A lot of hand separation in this. Mm. Um, I did enjoy this movie. It's, I don't think it's a good movie, though. Mm. I think it's marked on a curve because of the other entries, and now it's marked on a higher curve because of these new entries. And I don't think... It's a good movie. However, I think it's an entertaining movie. And that's not a bad thing. When I say it's a bad movie, I don't mean to make it come across that I think this film has no merits. This is a movie. It's not a miserable It's a watch. popcorn movie. It's thrilling. It's fun. It's tragic. But is it actually deep? I don't really think so. I think it's deep for, for an entertaining movie... But is it an actual art movie? Is it actually like this masterclass of cinema? I don't think so. But I think the fact that it attempts to do so is noteworthy. I think the fact that George Lucas is an insane weirdo who doesn't listen to criticism and just keeps going full steam ahead... I think you're nailing it with this description, yeah. Entertaining for a... uh, Deep for an entertaining movie. Deep for an entertaining movie. I think that this movie has a lot going on in both negatives and positives where it evens out to, if you say you like this movie, I'm not going to have a problem with you. If you say you hate it, 
I'm not going to have a problem with you. This is a Star Trek episode in which there's lots of good shit and lots of bad shit. And Revenge of the Sith is the one out of the prequels in which when I sit down with someone, I can actually talk about the good things and the bad things. And they don't critique me about talking about the bad things. Like when I mention, but Anakin... I have the high ground. People laugh. You, you have laughed about like literally last night. I had started the movie and um, I have my groceries delivered and the guy came in and he walked in and went, oh, the prequels. And I'm just like, yeah, watching it for a good laugh. And he was like, oh, have you gone up? And we just started talking about like, have you gone up to this bit yet? I'm like, no, not that bit yet. And we just had like a laugh. And then we talked about like some of the good aspects. And I think out of the prequels, that's one you can genuinely do that with. Like most people can do that with. Most people can sit down and go like, that bit at the opera, or whatever the hell that thing is, the Darth Plagueis the Y scene, that's a genuinely great scene. But then you can also have a laugh at the fact that Palpatine melts his own face and never reacts to it. He never reacts to the fact that he melted his own fucking face. Isn't that weird? Uh, yeah, like, if yeah. you disfigured yourself, wouldn't you at least be like, oh my god, my face. Like, feel it or 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 react? But he's just like, no reaction. He's just like... It's kind of like it's like this is my final form. Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, he he does use it to his advantage in the Senate, so maybe it was planned. I don't know. I don't think so. Ah, uh, who knows? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I always felt it was weird that he melted his own face, even as a kid when I watched it, because I always assumed that it was the dark side of the Force is so corrupting that he was this decrepit old malformed creature like when i watched the original return when i watched return of the jedi i never thought this guy was deformed i always just thought that he was this ancient decrepit you know it's like huddled that... mass of evil but in this they're like no 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 he's deformed i think it's yeah i think there's even that like notion that people have observed where like even if someone in real life is not attractive if they're a kind person there is a like appeal about how they look but if mm. they're a mean person there is sort of like a look in their mm. face of like oh you look like a mean person yeah and you know and there's like it... an obvious like sci-fi fantasy extreme of that and with this they even set up that the dark side physically corrupts you because anakin's eyes change color his yeah. skin starts to drain of color like they... do- dooku still looks handsome yeah because he's not <laughs> it's weird with dooku yeah he's 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 i guess but palpatine's also doing is like kind of playing both sides sort yeah of. yeah which is fine. Which is fine. Um, he's always talking about how the Jedi are like, oh, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> Even Obi-Wan, who he's like, I didn't really talk to you much, my old friend. <laughs> I love Palpatine. Um, I didn't say Palpatine. Oh, sorry, sorry, Dooku. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying I just love Palpatine. Because he do does too. that too. Like, he does the, we're all friends. It was very weird for me, though, not having watched the other two. Did the other two set up the fact that the Jedi don't trust Palpatine? Because this movie is kind of like, at the very so beginning, is, they're like, this, this the... fucking guy is a creep, this and we don't like out. him very much. And I'm like, wait, I thought you guys loved him. Like, I know that the uh, the ideological debate is they are wary of the fact that he has earned so much power. But in this film, he does not come across like he's not unwilling to give up that power once the war is over. Like, like when he says, we kill General Grievous... It's all done. That's it. It's like this guy because... literally kidnapped me. Like General Grievous and Count Dooku literally kidnapped the head person of the Republic. And you're saying what? Like, like I should give up power right now? I don't get it. In the first film, they were all pretty cool with him. Like, hey, he's actually making an effort to try to resolve this. Like, he's talking about how the Senate is all corrupt. It's a bunch of corrupt politicians. Mm. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to resolve this through the Senate, even though it's going to take forever. 
Second film, I think they generally wanted him to have that bigger power. Yeah. Um, they, they had, like, those weird scenes where it's like, oh, well, we need someone to do this, and Jar Jar was looking weird. And then in the third film, like, obviously, <laughs> at the beginning, before they before you see him, there is this whole thing of, like, we need to save him, he's important. Then when they meet him... He's like, in- they even say some line like, like, he's... He's a savior of the Republic or something like that. Like he's this champion of the Republic. Yeah. It's like, okay, and so then, you like him then. And then when you first see him in the, the room he's captured in, and he's like acting a little, he's acting a little bit darker than mm. he did in the previous he's films. He's pushing it. It's, it's like, a okay, they the filmmakers have really made this shift. And then once they take him home, that's where they start the whole thing of like, He's got he's got ulterior motives. It's weird because when they shift him home, he's acting like the Palpatine, the senator again, which is great. Like that's just, this is Ian McDermott's acting. Like when he was captured, he's pushing it. You know, like like the the iconic do it. Mm. It's very funny. It's been memed to death. We all think it's funny, but what's great about that is it's Ian McDermott being cheesy and fun. But, you know, we have to have the realistic thing of this mild-mannered senator will turn into the Emperor, and the Emperor's a really over-the-top, two-dimensional character. So we have to have a little traces of that character in there. And we haven't really got to see that in the other two movies. We have to do it in this movie. So when he says stuff like, Good, Anakin. Yeah, in Kill the, him. In, yeah. Kill him now. Like, that's very Palpatine, too, because one thing I want to really note down... It's been a while since I've seen the Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back where Palpatine's in them. Uh, where Darth Sidious in them. Yep. It's been a while since I've watched the prequels. I forgot how nuanced the voice is to Palpatine. The Palpatine, when you think of him, you always think of Anakin. Yeah. But I forgot that he has the lilting, oh, look at your friends dying. Or that I was really shocked in this movie when, when he has Anakin surrender to him. He has this really deep voice. I forgot that he had that voice, and then I was like, "It's more than just the Anakin voice." Nah. Even when he says, uh, "Kill him now," there's like a kind of like bridge between the two modes going on. Exactly, like it's a bridge. It's very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi when he opens up the window and he's like, "Look at all your friends dying. You could save them." When he's like, "Kill them." So that's what I mean. Like, there's a nuance there, but it's like when he goes back to the planet and he's like. Well, in this world, once General Grievous has been captured, he's gone back into that Palpatine, and they are reacting. If you watch... like, he's acting like how he was on the spaceship, where he—it's like they're reacting like he's being evil. But it's like I don't get it. If you, yeah, I feel like if you watch the first two films without really the context of who he is, and you somehow skip over the fact that, like, oh, the same actors playing that cloaked emperor and the <laughs> chancellor, you almost wouldn't think that, like, oh, him speaking normally this entire time is, you know, really unusual. Like he's being deceptive. It's he yeah. plays it really straight. He, I can't remember the exact details, but he's got like a history with Padme and everything. So there's like a precedent of like, oh yeah, we get along. Yeah. And then in this film, it's just like, oh no, she's against him now. Everyone's against him now because we need the plot to happen. That's like a big thing of so many rushed little things. Like, uh, I really got tired of the action scenes again. Like Star Wars action scenes, I just glaze over. The only action scene I think I genuinely liked was the Mace Windu Palpatine one because someone's emoting and it's Palpatine. <laughs> like, literally, when they all have lightsaber fights, they just go, like, stone-faced and just... Doof, 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 doof. 
but Palpatine, at least he's thrusting it weirdly, and he's really like weird fighter, and he's I making a, these noises, I and he's got tr- like this ghoul face, and he's like smiling and I read laughing, a and he's like, point. "Oh, someone's emoting here." I read a trivia point that in that scene, George Lucas was really insistent on like. Uh, minimizing how much he has a stunt double for yeah, that yeah. scene. So, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. I don't mind that Ian McDermott can't, isn't clearly... Like, I saw someone talk about, like, it's really disappointing that the best Sith Lord in the universe can barely use a lightsaber. And I've always been like, yeah, I don't think that guy really needs to use a lightsaber. I think he's more about using the Force. Mm. Hence, I get really annoyed with these prequels when they're like, these people who I think wouldn't really use lightsabers much just use them all the time, like Palpatine and Yoda in particular. Those are two guys that I go, they'd only use a lightsaber very rarely. Like when I think of them, like like I would really not think of them being lightsaber heavy, but in these movies Especially they're like... Especially because th- these are two characters that are also in the original trilogy and all the you know, non-realistic stuff they do is all like force stuff. Yeah, and and they're decrepit and ancient and old, the both of them in very different ways. So, and it feels like they're very, they're both very dignified in their respective acting. Like like Yoda's very dignified as a light side user, and and Palpatine, although he's wicked and evil, he's very like dignified. It feels very weird when he's like, and now I grab out my red lightsaber and chop off your fucking head. Like it feels very weird, and I do a spin. <laughs> And I go, because he makes trick, like a yeah. T-Rex noise. Yeah. I forgot about that noise, yeah. Um, we have to talk about, before we start this recording, I showed a yeah. little clip to Bartek of my favourite little joke moment in the movie. Uh, a joke moment that you hadn't realised in previous viewings. No, I forgot, yeah. because yeah. you get caught up when you watch these movies of these bigger moments, like the, hello there, or... Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> or, Anakin... Anakin, I have the high ground, give up, you know, or, or, you know, the other classic meme lines, like, I am the Senate, or unlimited power. But the one I forgot is there's a reaction shot of Palpatine at the very beginning when he's been captured and he's watching uh, Obi-Wan cutting one of those droids in half, or those big ones. The droids up the stairs and at the top of the stairs, Anakin and Dooku are going at it. And it cuts to a static shot. (laughs) Of Palpatine sitting in the chair and he pecks his head forward like a bird and he already has like a bird face and the yeah, hair doesn't he does. help and he just goes yeah <laughs> yeah it's like, it's like this really like held back hype like yeah but it's like it's not like he's reacting like Palpatine and it's not like he's reacting like Darth Sidious it feels like Ian McDermott <laughs> Walked on set, sat down, and they were like, could you give us a yeah? And he's like, what, like this? Yeah. And they were like, done. And then he walked off set. The, the, the uh, spirit in him that made him say, do it, like the way he did, was coming out at that moment for a bit. One of the behind-the-scenes things that I found very fascinating was, uh, I've always found this fascinating, is they had the makeup guy do Palpatine's makeup, you know, and it was not the same makeup person he did originally, obviously. It was a different person. Mm-hmm. But they had the uh, notes and the how-to-do the makeup for the Palpatine makeup from the original movie, and they uh, they applied it, okay. and they were like, other than obviously Ian McDermott's broadened out and aged, they're like, when they put it on, they're like, it doesn't look right. Why doesn't this look right? What's going on here? Then Ian McDermott stood up apparently or did something, and he just his face just shifted, and there it was, like, oh my god, the secret factor is Ian McDermott as, as an actor. Act, yeah. He no no yeah he has to act, but it's just like. 
he just shifts his face and contours it differently, which is something like you think, oh, I never thought of that. Like, like mm. when you think someone in heavy prosthetics, like he was, you're thinking the prosthetics is doing the you're work, but he that, is doing the work. You think that work. they're doing like a neutral face when it looks right. Yeah, but Ian McDermott, you know, such a great actor. He's bringing so much, not just the voice and the posture, but like he's physically holding his face in a way that makes this character iconic. And isn't that great? That is cool, yeah. What are some things that uh, you enjoyed on this watch? Little moments or tidbits? One one of the lines... Is it tidbits or titbits? Tid. Okay. D for daddy. Okay, because I know it's been... I've heard, is it an American way that they pronounce it titbits? I don't think I've ever heard titbits. <laughs> no, when, I, when I say it like that, it sounds weird, but no, yeah. I, I've only ever heard tidbits. Um, hello there. <laughs> hello there. One line that I completely forgot about and i think this is one that most people would remember is when when the three of them palpatine obi-wan and anakin are running through the ship at the beginning and they get caught in the force field uh obi-wan's reaction like wait a minute what are we smarter than this <laughs> he says it so aggressively it sounds like he's criticizing happen it sounds like he's criticizing the plot like why did the writers make us fall for this trap and then they proceed to never be smarter than that <laughs> Yeah, I really liked, I've mentioned this before, but I really like the weird interaction between General Grievous, who's a character we haven't met before. Like, he's in the Clone Wars, apparently, but, like, most people didn't see that and just saw the movie. So General Grievous is this weird robot who's alive because he's coughing. coughing. Apparently it's George Lucas who's coughing. Is it? According to the trivia, that's George Lucas Ooh. had a really bad cough while making the film, so they like recorded and put it on Grievous. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, General Grievous interacted with Anakin, and Anakin's like, you're not as tall as I expected you to be. The guy's fucking huge. <laughs> like, I don't know what he wanted. Because Anakin, he says some comment to Anakin, like, I expected someone of your reputation to be to a be lot older. older. And he's like, well, I expected you to be a lot taller. The guy, and they show the shot, and the guy, fucking General Grievous, is like huge yeah, against it's, Anakin, it's, and Anakin's not a short dude. And it's, a, it's, and it's just meant to be like a call forward to Leia, being like, "You're a little short for a stormtrooper," but it's like it doesn't fit this time. Really. No, it doesn't make any sense. No, yeah, it's. I love that. Any other highlight moments or things you 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 that tickled you? Things that were good, bad. Uh, it's most most of like the general stuff that like the, the the lines we all remember, even though you haven't seen the film in like a decade. Uh, not from a Jedi. Not from a Jedi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all love him. <sighs> what a hero! Well, let's talk about that scene. If you can't think of anything in particular, well, maybe I'll think of it as the episode goes on. That opera scene, I think most people call it the opera scene. Yeah. We don't know what the fuck that is. It looks like a Final Fantasy game. It was a blitz ball, <laughs> but with like weird stars. And people, ten- call it, people call it sperm. but Sperm's yeah. coming out of it. I don't know. That scene is considered, oddly enough, to be one of the greatest scenes in all of Star Wars. Mm. How do you feel about that scene? I mean, I, when I entered the film, I was like, I knew that people really praised this scene so mm. much. So I was like, all right, let's, let's actually check it out. And... I just I just thought it was fine, really. Like it was an interesting story he told, and I know that a lot of fans like you know really grip onto it, and like a lot of fan theories come out of that. Like, oh, Palpatine's talking about his own experiences betraying this guy and all mm. that. Uh, yeah, I thought it was yeah, it was it was a good scene, but I I don't think it was anything too wowsers. See, for me, I think it was pretty wowsers for the context of the film. Yeah, I think you told me this last week. 
I think, well, I feel a bit different how I said it last week. So last week, after the episode, I talked about, like, will this scene actually be good? Or is it because of the curve we're marking these prequels on? What was it? You said something like, it's the only scene in the whole prequels that is something... It feels like two people talking. Yeah. Like, and this series is a lot of people talking, but this one, although it's heavily scripted with fanciful dialogue and metaphors and imagery, it does feel like two characters talking about something that matters. Like, Palpatine is luring him with this promise of immortality and saving people from death. Right, you're saying it's like kind of a seduction almost. It's a seduction yeah. scene, but like it feels more than that. It just feels like two people talking, unlike the other scenes, which is there's two characters talking through dialogue. You know what I mean by that? Like, mm. this scene is one of those few in the prequels in which... It feels like actual people just chatting with their ideological beliefs, their fears, their worries. Their ad- it feels like they're actual people. It feels like the illusion is there of this being real. While a lot of the guess... other times where people are chatting, it feels like I'm seeing George Lucas writing these words. I think now that I think... You're breaking my heart, Anakin. I think a couple of weeks ago, I did hear... I watched some video of someone talking about this scene. I think it might have been Quentin Reviews. Mm. Um, and they were saying that this is one of the only scenes in the prequels that really, like, gives you some sort of lore about the universe because it tells this, like, legend mm. story. And Whereas the rest of the film seems to be... Well, the rest of the trilogy seems to be about, like, you know, modern-day politics going on. I mean, they do give you lore like midichlorians, but they're lore that we don't like. Yeah, and also very... They can run fast. And also very vague, and, like, they don't explore it too much outside of, you know, like, Mm. oh, this guy, a lot of that, that's it. So, like, and I think it's just the fact that um, another thing, too, is the environment, even though you've got this fanciful CGI involved, it feels real because they're sitting in a chair. Mm. (laughs) You know, like, and I would say most of the Palpatine-Anakin scenes are great because it's just two people chatting mm-hmm. and as a star trek fan i love two people sitting down and chatting shot reverse shot and it's well this, this one has like a behind shot i know <laughs> and it's just like yes this scene actually does live up to it being a satisfying for this film and for the trilogy not as a whole thing but like You get an insight on what Palpatine's all about, whether it is actually his story or not. What you do know is he relishes in this. And here's the thing. So you're saying that this scene is the revenge of the Sith to the rest of the film, which is the prequels of the whole. Uh, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. Do you remove what you've heard from others? Mm -hmm. Think about the scene. Do you believe that story is real? Do you think that's his story? Like, Like Palpatine's story? Do you think he's the apprentice? Do you think Darth Plagueis existed? Do you think it's real? Me personally? Yeah, you personally. <laughs> Sorry, I realise this is also a red letter media joke, me personally. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think there might be some truth to it. I know that there's a whole like extra layer of theorising over it of like, does this mean they actually create life and all that? Like, and did they create Anakin? Do, is, he the, is he like the magic father or something? And that I'm more iffy on. I, I do buy into the idea that maybe he was the apprentice he's talking about but as for because mm. he also mentions later in the film of like the the actual ability of creating life or whatever is still a secret that we have to work together to find but he also said he taught the apprentice 
everything he knew, all of his knowledge. So if he's the apprentice, how come he doesn't know? Yeah, yeah, that's... Or that's is he the... lying? <laughs> yeah, that's the iffy thing. Like, I, I, I believe as much that, you know, he was the apprentice and he did kill the master. As for the rest of the details, that's where I'm more, like, you know, mm. more iffy and also because I'm not, you know, diehard fan, I'm not too yeah. fussed about. But it's interesting for a discussion, for sure. I believe it only for one reason, and it's the acting. Mm. And the specifically one moment. I brought up the reasoning just a moment ago about, like, if he knew this, how come he doesn't know this and this and this? And you could say, like, because he's lying to Anakin throughout the whole thing. Like, he's lying at the end, or maybe he's lying in this opera scene. Who knows? The only reason I believe that this Darth Plagueis story is true in some way, shape, or form is when Ian McDermott has that line delivery about, like, how he got killed in his sleep. And it's like, he could save people from death. But he couldn't save himself. Uh, like the moral and of the how story. How ironic. And the way he delivers it, where he just kind of gazes off to the distance, has a cheeky little smile, it feels like he is reminiscing in that mm. moment, in particular in that specific moment of the story. That's when it feels to me that that character is living that memory. And that's the only reason I believe that this actual story is in any way true. Because when you add up like little, little things within this movie, I'm not talking about your Star Wars books or whatever and games. Yep. In this movie, lots of it doesn't add up or follow through or it's just straight up lies or whatever. Or deception. But that moment when Ian McDermott just delivers it in that way, I buy it. I'm like, that was real. That was a good he, nuance, He yeah. did that. Like... Ian McDermott's the real champion of the Star Wars movies. In all nine movies, he's <laughs> consistently the best thing in them. And he's not even in some of them. And exactly, and you miss him. <laughs> um, yeah, that opera scene, like, I think it's just because those Palpatine scenes is... The reason I think they resonate, too, is he's the only person that's outright saying that the Jedi are bad. And the whole trilogy of these prequels, you, the audience, are feeling like the Jedi are weird, creepy, bad guys that don't like love and hate any aspect of what we are as humans. Like, I know they're aliens from the past, but, like, we're humans. They're humans. Like, we want humanity. And I'm not saying, like, religious orders, like Zen monks or whatever, are bad or whatever, but they have humanity, Zen monks. Yeah. These guys don't have any layer of... Hu they are as bad as the droids they're fighting. And the droids have humanity to them. The ones that they fight in yeah. this movie. <laughs> and yet they're the bad guys. You know, like The droids can say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. But they don't move out of the way of the elevators. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know why they didn't do that. They're droids. But, uh, like, the Palpatine scenes work because, for me, like, like I said, they're human, they're characters, but... He's the only person that's outright saying what we, the audience, are feeling, which is Jedi are bad. And also, I totally agree with this. Even though he's the bad guy and he's being bad about it, if you want to be pure with the Force, why are you narrowing your research into it by just going, I'm going to go th down this one avenue and that's it? Like, that's not how it works. Yeah, if you that, want to be I a master of something in specifics, you should try and acquire all of the resources of that think, field and and he's right and i think that's basically the whole sith ideology of like why limit yourself yeah 
But I guess it's that thing of they channeled... Uh, but here's the problem, though, with the Sith. The irony of the Sith is they're like... And he says it. They're like the Jedi. The Jedi use their focus and their specific cutting themselves off from emotion. They use their harness your negative emotions. That's still, like narrowing yourself that's the i that's like the the problem with the sith is right like they're narrowing themselves even if they're not aware of it by doing sheer like you only use the negative sides of your personality instead of just embracing all sides like you only use the force by harnessing your anger that's kind of narrowing too yeah and i i when i was reading the trivia for this film they mentioned that like with the whole thing of like everything's explained in you know expanded mm-hmm. uh, materials, they also don't really cover what the Sith are getting revenge for. <laughs> and apparently, the thing that they're getting revenge for is essentially you know the Jedi, you know the Jedi Council, the Jedi's, and all that uh, discriminated against these people that basically said, "Hey, what about using emotions?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's I'm not huge into the Star Wars games, but the ones that I have played are the Knights of the Old Republic games. I've heard those are good. And I think it's the second one. There's a Sith in there that's really cool. That's like this lady Sith who's like, uh, you know what? Sith are bad. Jedi are bad. You know what? The Force is terrible. You know, no mortal being should be allowed to have this. Let's just fucking destroy it all. And I'm like, I agree. The Force is bad. I hate the Force. Um, let's talk about the romance. Mm-hmm. Because that's the where the tragedy comes in into this tragedy story. Because these three movies are about an epic romance between Padme and Anakin, and the tragic height of it is when they she dies of a broken heart. She just stopped having the will to live <laughs> because he turned to the dark side. How does the romance feel to you from all three films and in this individual film? Uh, going back to Phantom Menace feeling like an outlier, it's basically, you know, a precocious crush there. It's yeah, because like, he's like a child and she's like a teenage girl. There's like five-year difference, but it's, that's weird to think about because it's like nine and 14. Yeah. We know this from the Weird Al song. I was going to say, I was literally going to say Weird Al. <laughs> Good song. Um, Great song. So that film, bit of an outlier. The second film is where they reunite for the first time in 10 years and the romance blossoms. And, and he's angsty about it. And he's angsty about it. And there's just weirdness on both ends. And it's Because it, she's a sender. Because she's a senator. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and honestly, if not for that, I think Attack of the Clones would be fine, fine. But, but that really does bring it all down. Because I can see, knowing the full story... I know exactly what the characters are feeling. But I mean, the, they tell you it all they the tell, time. <laughs> they tell you all the time, yes. But it, it, like keeping it in mind, not being like, oh, I'm walking in blind. You know that there's like factors at play where they're like, the, the romance could really uh, compromise it. But the way that they're acting makes it seem like, oh, these two are getting to know each other and their chemistry is not working. No. Like the whole thing of Anakin just saying like creepy things. Uh Padme literally saying that one thing Anakin's doing is making her feel uncomfortable. It's like it's like, but she- then also being like Anakin, you're hot. <laughs> yeah, well, and and those are like it's like us as you know normal people are looking at like oh th- this is a romance that isn't working and they're seeing uh, Padme specifically is seeing like you know red flags. Mm. Um, but then in the end, the whole justification is like no. Anakin feels a duty to not feel emotions because of Jedi, and Padme has this idea that a senator shouldn't be 
in love. Man, that must have been a real rough time for Senator Oregana then with his <laughs> wife, right? He must have been like filleting himself every night over the fact <laughs> that he's a bad senator. Mr. Jimmy Smiths, yeah. Like and he must have been just like like cutting his cutting his arm every time he looked at his wife going, You fucking sinner of yeah. the Senate. You fucking <laughs> sinner of the Senate. And, and I've you... let the Republic down. Ah, I would get... love the Jimmy Smith spin-off movie where that's he's like he's got this sad romance movie where he's like, <laughs> he's like I'm a senator, but I've got a wife and adopted daughter. Ah! It's like that's where you have a no. It's, it's the film's he's an authority figure moment to, yeah. to reference something we made. Um, but to give it a little bit of credit, the 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 turning point for that is uh, they're both captured and going to be thrown in the Colosseum, and they basically say, "Hey, since we're about to die, let's at least choose love at the right moment." But then. Fair? Unfortunately, and also fortunately, they end up living beyond that. <laughs> and they have to have a and like, life in secret. Well, we've already chosen love, so now we have to deal with all the consequences that we said earlier about like why we're not choosing love. And did those consequences get faced and paid off in this film? It get it, They got followed up on, because even in the very first interaction they have, which this is another scene everyone uh, compliments, the, the I'm pregnant scene. They complimented? I didn't know that. Apparently, it's an incredibly well... Like, they think, like, oh, this is the most genuine romantic moment. I thought the scene in which they look across at each other from the Jedi Temple to the apartment was more emotionally impactful. Like, you know that scene where, like, shit's about to go down and they both kind of sense each other and they both look out the windows and it's like they're looking at each other from across the city in Revenge of the Sith? What could you give more context? It's when Anakin's. I think I can't remember if it's when Anakin's already k- killed. Like I, I think it's like uh, Anakin's decided he's already going to join Chancellor Palpatine or whatever. He's going to the dark side, and he's sitting in the Jedi Temple, and he's brooding about it. And he stands up and he looks out the window, and at the same time, Padme has this feeling like something's not right, and she stands in there like their little apartment or wherever well, she lives, she and at... she looks out the window. She looks across, and it's like they're looking at each other across the city. That... Like that was more romantic was and that tender where... to me. Was that where she was like reacting to the smoke coming from the temple? I don't know because no, I think I can't remember the exact. But that moment of them two looking at each other across the danger mm. zone of the city, and things are going to change and not be the same. That was more emotionally impactful for a romantic relationship than uh, Annie. I'm pregnant. I hate that she calls him Annie. <laughs> it makes me think of Annie, the musical. Blanny. Black um, Annie. Yeah, Blanny. He goes to the dark side, so he's Danny. Danny. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's... Like it, Daenerys that, from yeah. Game of Thrones, yeah. <laughs> that's her nickname, Danny. Daenerys. Oh, okay. People call her Danny in the show, and right. it's terrible. <laughs> okay. You don't like Annie's unless it's Blanny. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that scene had the the whole thing of like Anakin like at first looks like he's not happy about it, but then he like he's like that's he, great. He settles. Yeah, and I like that one line he says at the end was like, "This is a happy moment. Like even though this yeah. is going to have consequences, let us be happy at least in this little moment." I thought that was a nice line. I like their romance in this movie, considering I didn't watch the other two. But my big problem was it didn't feel like they had enough scenes together. Mm. For the big dramatic payoff in which he fucking chokes her and she dies later. It felt like they didn't have as many scenes as one would like. But at the same time, you could argue, well, he's being so full of himself. He's neglecting her and that's the dramatic irony 
of the fact that he wants to save her, but in doing so, he's going to kill her. Yeah, Star Wars loves putting separating characters that have close connections, don't they? Yeah. That was a big thing in the the second film as well. Like at the beginning, Obi Wan and uh, Anakin are you know working together with the whole chase thing, then they split off. Yeah, yeah. It's weird that um, this movie has a guy who does villainous things to try to save the woman he loves, but in doing so, yeah. pushes that person away. That's interesting. And they've also got that kind of with the Jedi of like, oh, this guy's bad news, but you could also argue that like, you guys being dicks to him sort of didn't help. But here's the thing I'm going to say, like, I've always said I wanted more time spent on it. A movie that we both watched recently that dealt with a very similar thing, but the character had very minimal scenes, is we watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and the villain Mm -hmm. of that movie, Kingpin, has a very similar motivation of things, of he wants to save someone he loves, but doing that is the fact that that's what pushes them away or had pushed them away in the past. And that only dealt with that in like five, ten minutes. This movie has two and a half hours worth of time, and it still feels like it didn't have enough time. Mm. Like, when she dies, and they're like, she's lost the will to live, she's died of a broken heart or whatever... I just threw my hands up in the air and went, isn't she supposed to be, like, this strong, powerful woman? Like, in Star Wars, isn't she supposed to be, like, this badass senator lady who takes no shit and she's supposed to be like this? And then, by the end of the three movies, it seems like she's reduced down to being the girl. Yeah. And that's it. Like, she's the girl who dies because her boyfriend broke her heart. (laughs) And Jar Jar's sad (laughs) in his one scene. And you know shit's real when he's sad. Yeah, the uh, great adventures of Jar Jar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even if you want to argue that like she died of a broken heart's a poetic thing, then it just makes you ask, like, well then what really killed her? And it's like you can't really win either way. No it's matter because Anakin it. left to the dark side, that's what killed her. That or and even some people say, like, no, the choking was really strong. And I think I even read one theory that someone was like when he choked her, he took some of her life force or something. Uh, I don't know about people that. People are but... fucking so, um, I'm trying to think of other iconic things to talk about. There's so much because this movie's so long. Do you want to talk about Order 66? Sure. Do you like it? Uh, I mean, like I said earlier, I, I That's do... That's another praiseworthy moment of this movie. I do like betrayal in films, and that was a... It's it's a weird one because like there's a lot of expanded things that were released in digital formats, like the Clone mm. Wars shows... And all these characters that are getting, you know, killed mm. unceremoniously one by one apparently have, you know, a lot of characterization stuff, attachment you can have to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, not so much if you just watch the the films, but it, I, I thought it was effective enough, like just this immediate turn from like mm. big camaraderie with the, the clone troopers and the Jedi to suddenly like, oh, it's time? Okay. Pew! I loved it. Yeah. I thought the music was great. What I loved is, as much as we want to talk about George Lucas being a bad director, he did a great job of directing that sequence. The only thing is I have one negative. Mm-hmm. Just one. It's a nitpick. There's the, the green head, tentacle head lady. I know her name, but will you hate me if I say it? No. <laughs> I think it's Isla Sakura. Fuck you. No, oh, uh... <laughs> you lied to me. You betrayed me. You should have said Isla Fisher. So Isla Fisher gets shot the shit up. And I hated the fact that all the other Jedi people, they get shot reasonable amount of times and they're dead. But she's like shot and it's like a bird's eye view of it penning up and they're just 
continually yeah. shooting her. And I just said, uh, okay, that's enough. Like, because that makes it feel more personal. Yeah. But this was very strictly business. Like, this is very, like, Order 66. Okay, we're doing it. Ironically. But that felt like they had a personal thing against that chick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like they went out of their way to keep shooting her, and she's already dead. They're just continually shooting you her. Like, I know it's supposed to be brutal, but all the other Jedis died brutally. But yeah, like I said, like, business. Affected. Like, boom. Mm, done. It. Like, very mobster. Like, bam, Ironically, one of the few expanded universe things I do know, I think I even remember one of those troopers saying, like, oh, I actually quite liked her. So, if that is true like i know it's not part of the films but if that is true it's extra weird it's very odd like that was my only nitpick with it i thought the music was great i love the shot of that stupid jedi with this big head the big pointy again cone will, head will you hate me if i say his name no no his name's belda <laughs> uh belda conehead with Bel- belda conehead oh mr conehead Ki Mundi, i think no 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 belda conehead <laughs> dan Aykroyd. but dan Aykroyd got shot up it was great when the camera went down to the feet and you saw the feet of the clone troopers stop, stop and you yeah. just know. Uh, Did some of them also like crouch? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they stopped and got ready and you're like, oh, shit, dude, that's, that's great. Like, that is actually great direction, visual direction. George Lucas isn't as incompetent as we all like to think he is. He's just incompetent 99.9% of the time. But that one point... And he has a funny voice. So, yeah. and, he has a, and he has a weird hair and beard and he's short and he wears denim all the time and he looks like a farmer. But uh, I liked Order 66. It's become a meme. I don't understand what the meme is of Order 66, but that's a joke online. A lot of is jokes it, about... Is it the delivery of execute Order 66? No, I think it's just or... the fact that Order 66 is this like, vague order. It's like, what is the order of 66? Like, oh, is it just kill everyone? Is Order 67 really anticlimactic to come Yeah, that, that, this, this is the kind of thought <laughs> yeah. process that everyone has, right? Order 66 is great. Like I said, the only fight scene I actually liked was the Mace Windu Palpatine fight scene. And as I told you, the only reason is because Palpatine emotes. The other reason that I like it more, say, than the Yoda Palpatine fight scene is, um, and he Pal- Palpatine emotes a lot in that, is because Mace Windu's a real guy fighting him. It's not like some little CGI squirrel jumping around. <laughs> And with a Muppet voice. like, And also that scene is like, you know, cutting between another fight scene. And that's what I was going to say. One of my big critiques too is I like intercutting, sure. Mm. But I did get tired. There was a lot of intercutting in this movie. Like, I forgot how long Obi-Wan was stuck on that desert planet. Or whatever, that jungle planet where the vampire oh, the, the, creatures the, the, the are. Thing, yeah. With getting... He's there for like 90% of the movie. I, I forgot about that. I forgot that he sticks around for a while after the Grievous stuff is over. He's swimming underwater for 10 whole minutes. <laughs> but then he's like got a breathing apparatus. Like, oh, it's fine. It's not Paul Giamatti in the Lady of Water. In Lady in the Water. Yeah. <laughs> where he was swimming for 10 minutes. But like, I forgot like, because they're intercutting. They're intercutting, intercutting. And by the time they got back to him, it's been 10 minutes. And you're like, shit, he's still on this fucking planet. He's still... Killing Grievous was literally the, the Clone War ender. So yeah, it's and weird. And he's still there. Because they needed the Order 66 to happen to him. Yeah. That's the only reason he's still there. Because if he wasn't there, how would that affect him? Where would he be to have it affect him? Or, more rightly, if he left, he would have been there to stop Anakin from turning to the dark side. Hey, and he already had his final, like, goodbye, old friend. Goodbye, old friend. Look at all the fucks I give. You don't want... Yeah. Goodbye, old friends. Like, hey, how are you doing? All right, I need to go. And then, evil. Yeah, like, like... One of the big problems I had, too, was timeline of this movie. Mm-hmm. When we first meet Padme, she it doesn't look pregnant at all, right? 
Yeah. She's wearing a big flowy dress, but she's always wearing weird dresses, whether they're kinky or not. And then by the end of the movie, she's like given birth. And I felt like this movie took place in like max, maximum two months. Max two months. Definitely something you describe as a couple of weeks at most. Yeah. I did not think that this movie took place, let's say, seven months of time. Like it felt like they found out where General Grievous was very quickly and then he went there. Yeah, I cannot justify this film being more than a whole season, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, but she's given birth at the end. But yeah. they're aliens, maybe they do it quicker. That's true, it was a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Um, did any of the fight scenes work for you in any of the prequel movies and in this movie? Because a lot of people praise these fight scenes because they're very well choreographed. But, like, how do you feel? Because for me, none of them stick. Palpatine's one sticks because there's two people and one's emoting. Like I told you, very vapid reasons, but I don't think any of them stick with me. Uh, yeah, probably the same. I, I, I kind, I guess I kind of like the one at the beginning of this film with the with Dooku, but yeah, it's very short. Um, it's because he's fucking brutal. <laughs> it's he's brutal, but do it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the ending of the Darth Maul fight is okay too, but I wouldn't go so far as to say any scene is like start to finish great. Do you find it weird that Darth Maul's fight, he lost, but he had the high ground. I, I did find it... <laughs> Darth in... Maul had the high ground, and yet he lost. Well, I, I do find the, the that scene and the the final fight in El Mustafar have interesting parallels because... The, the, he uh, Obi-Wan won there because uh, Darth Maul didn't understand the, the benefits of having the high ground. He jumped over him, slashed him, and that's what made him win. Whereas in this film, Obi-Wan's like, hey, you're somewhat in the position I was in there, and I won, but I trained you so I can counter that. And then Anakin does it anyway, and it's like, I countered it. You know very funny? Yeah? In that sentence, you had to say the word one and Obi-Wan. Oh, wow. And you kept saying them in the opposite way each time. So it was like, yeah. Well, my pronunciation. Yeah, <laughs> just very minutely. You'll notice when you listen back to this episode. But it was one, like, one, one, one. It's very difficult when you have to just say it. Just say <laughs> that, Qui-Gon Jinn. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good one. So good one. we're going to talk about the Obi-Wan-Anakin face-off. I counted five times Obi-Wan disrobed. He just threw off that big giant <laughs> really? robe. And I just said, fucking stop wearing it! Wow, I, I, I need to see he that. He threw maybe. that robe off at least four to five times in this movie. It was ludicrous how often he threw off that robe. But it was funny. When they first encountered each other in like the Mustafa scene, like it was so weird that he's on her ship. He's on her ship. Mm-hmm. How did he get on there? Because she's surprised he's there. Oh, I, I guess when I was watching, I just took it like, oh, yeah, he's there. But yeah, now that you mention it. She went there privately. Like, she had the conversation with him and was like, I don't believe you. And then she's going to go off to see him. Well, you see, and then, Ryan. And then Anakin's like, you're with him. And she's like, what? No. Well, you see, Ryan, early on Utapau, we learned that Obi-Wan can sneak by people and get on ships. We do know that he can run fast. That's how he got up to Darth Maul to stop... Qui-Gon from dying. <laughs> the Looney Tunes run. <laughs> they can run fast. Jedi can run fast. I did find it very funny when uh, when they got out of the... I was going to say turbo lift. That's Star Trek. When, they got out, when uh, Attica got out of the elevator and he did like a force jump and it looked like a video game. <laughs> like, boing! 
<laughs> it was really funny, but I liked it when he jumped back in the elevator. Yeah, that was great. Too. <laughs> he was his force didn't work that time, did it? I was gonna kill my brother. That's unthought of. I loved you. Um No, he currently loves you. What him at did that you point. think about their confrontation? Did you feel it? Like these two friends finally bickering and finally the deterioration and then it being leading into what we know Obi Wan and Darth Vader's relationship is? Did you actually feel it in this sequence because this is the culmination of it all there are times in uh the second and third film where i i do kind of feel their their connection their friendship Mm. but then it's very much compromised with the sudden outbursts anakin has in i hate him where where he's like it's obi-wan's fault obi-wan treats me like a child things like that the second film, the first time you see the two of them, they're in the lift and they're like talking about... They're doing the exposition of, we're friends. We're friends, previous adventures. And there's a little bit of like back and forth there of like, oh yeah, you fell on that thing. It's like, oh no, yeah. And then after that, like I, I saw that and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, they have that friendship. And then after that, there's a lot of, you know, telling him off and I'm sorry, master. That line is said a lot. Master. Uh, and and in the in the ensuing chase after the slugs in the second film, there's my favorite thing. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> fucking millipedes in there. Fucking idiot. There's a there's Just fucking shoot it with a laser. There's a lot of like character development or character establishment stuff of like you know Anakin's like hot headed. Obi Wan's trying to remain civilized in his word. Um, How and it's and there's you know it's interesting. There's a setup there. Then they split off, and that's a shame. And then in this third film, I feel like they tried to play it into it a bit more, but then they're also having this thing of, like, Anakin's, you know, siding with the Emperor, so it, even Obi-Wan's side gets compromised, and Anakin's, like, almost holding back yeah. compared to the second film. So in that final confrontation, because Obi-Wan's more a little bit more affectionate in, in, as I was describing for this film, I felt it on his part a bit more. That it was, you know, more genuine. I know that leads into the whole thing of, like, Ewan McGregor is the best actor next to Palpatine thing. Yeah, and that's a problem for me. I've said this before. Obi-Wan is a terrible character in these prequels to me. Poorly written. Dumbass. But Ewan McGregor delivers it so well. But the problem is... It highlights the problems at least with Palpatine he's being cheesy about it like he's being dev- like he's reminding you that this is pulp mm. he's reminding you that these are serials these are cheesy movies but he's bringing that edge but Ewan McGregor delivering this Shakespearean level of acting where he's like you are my brother Anakin you remember like but when did they have this relationship but Ewan McGregor believes it yeah so I should believe it but that's a problem to me because Ewan McGregor's acting shines so bright that in fact makes his acting weak because everyone else around him is so terrible but his character's so terrible so it feels like his acting should be a bit more cheeky and self-aware which it can be at times like the you know stop selling death sticks and whatever but like when he's delivering the you know the like then you're truly lost Anakin it just falls flat because it doesn't make any sense why he's being so, like, good at acting because the script's fucking rubbish and it doesn't add up. Like, I don't know, it's a problem in to terms, me. In terms of the pre, you know, fight happening on Mustafar, the, the line that I think had the most 
maybe I, maybe I don't really believe this, but the line that had the most meaning, I guess, in terms of like, oh, it's relating to something that was said earlier was um when Anakin's telling Padme about how like we can rule the galaxy uh. together. In the in the second film, there's just one part where he's like, you know, dictatorships, if they work, it's great. And yeah. it's like, oh, there was an early sign there, and now you've actually followed through and want to become that dictator yourself. I got confused. I loved when uh, she's like, no, Anakin couldn't do that. He couldn't kill younglings. I'm like, bitch, he's killed men, women, and children before. They were animals, and he slaughtered them like animals. <laughs> They were animals. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't just um, look. The fight scene itself is fucking terrible between Anakin and Obi Wan because it goes on so long and it's so ludicrously epic that it's not personal. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's anything personal you about know, it. You know what? You want to know why it's personal, Ryan? In the IMDb trivia, it said that the... it's about family. No, no, no. <laughs> the the planet of Mustafar and all its surroundings is uh representation Red. of George Lucas's idea of what hell looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it just doesn't feel personal. Like, it doesn't feel like these two friends are losing it against each other. And, like, yeah, Obi-Wan and him have that chat where he has the stupid line, from my point of view, it's the Jedi that are evil. It's like, you're truly lost. That's dumb as shit. But, like, because they're flipping and doing all this stuff and it goes on so long and the music's swelling it's intercutting between Palpatine and Yoda. Honestly, it kept, it just, it make, it kept making me think of that running gag in Family Guy where they fight with the chicken. Yeah, and it just doesn't feel personal because it doesn't feel raw. Like, everyone makes fun of the Obi-Wan-Darth Vader fight in A New Hope because it's very stiff. Mm. But you know what it is? It's personal. It matters. Obi-Wan gives himself up on purpose. You know, maybe he could defeat Vader, maybe he couldn't, but it's to save his friends. It's to give himself up to the Force and to show Vader that he's better than him as well. Like, like you know, I can surrender to the Force, you know? You kill me, I come back stronger, isn't it? You strike me down, I come back You know, like, it's personal. Even though that fight in New Hope's very stiff and awkward, it's better than this Obi-Wan and Anakin fight because it's real. It feels real. It feels like these two people are facing each other. Well, in this, he's flipping around and all this, and the only time it feels real is when it's like, yeah, Anakin, you were supposed to bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness the and all di- that. The dialogue and that's only has, because yeah. Ewan McGregor is delivering it with such urgency. That's the only reason. It's because Ewan McGregor... Because then when you come back to Hayden Christensen, who everyone sh- has shit on, and I don't want to shit on him, but like you have to, because when you come back to him, he's like, I hate you. It's like, it's so one-sided and i guess you could argue that's the point right like obi-wan is the one-sided friendship at this point but like also what do you think it means when they juxtapose give a juxtaposition between palpatine and yoda fighting and anakin and him fighting like what's the meaning there what's this what is he saying with that what's the statement being made there what is the parallels? What is the connective tissue between those four four characters, those two pairings? What's the connection? What's the other than they all know each other, and other than like the power dynamic of like Palpatine is the best Sith and Yoda is the best Jedi, and like because Obi Wan's not Yoda's apprentice, he was Qui Gon Jinn's, so it doesn't even work on like. 
the two masters and the two apprentices are fighting. The only like thing I can think of is like a, a contrast of like in one the the Jedi wins and in the other the Sith wins, but even then what's does that mean anything? Yeah. Uh in both the Jedi's retreat into exile like fucking cowards and leave the world in tyranny for what was it like 25 years or something ludicrous. Uh, 19. 19 uh, years left it in tyranny like a bunch of wusses. All four characters are in the original trilogy. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so so yeah. no one dies. No one dies. No one's ever really gone. Um, Until the end. <laughs> no one's ever really... No, no no one's ever really gone, man, because they have force ghosts. Mm-hmm. No one's ever really... Qui-Gon yes. Jinn's back. <laughs> they quickly established that at the end. Yeah. <laughs> they rushed it through. Hey, Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, I watched... Because I, I watched the um the second and third film with subtitles on just because I like subtitles. And uh, when Anakin is killing the sand people in the second film... Uh, there's a couple of characters who feel in the force that like something really awful is happening, yeah. and when it comes to Yoda's uh, rendition of that scene, the subtitles have Qui Gon Jinn yelling "No, Anakin," but the characters themselves don't comment on the fact that Qui Gon is shouting "No, Anakin." I didn't notice that. It's something that always stuck with me because it's something I only noticed because the subtitles have you know character name Qui Gon yelling, and it's like. So Qui-Gon's ghost already was in the second film? It's, I guess. Yeah. I think it was more, maybe you could argue, Yoda knew, but he had to learn how to master it himself to teach it. Oh, yeah, because th- Qui-Gon knows how to do it, but Yoda doesn't. Th- there's a line in this film where, it's between Samuel L. Jackson and Yoda, where <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson says something like, should we tell the Senate that we're like struggling to use the Force or something like that? Nobody knows. It's because the balance in the Force is so out of whack, as it always has been, and it always will be. <laughs> it's so clunky And we should that... destroy the Force. <laughs> it's so clunky that when that line came up, I'm like, did I miss a major, like, plot? Well, that sounds pretty serious, but I um, I did like the fact that the birth of Darth Vader is intercut with the birth of his children. That's cute. Sure. It's undercut with the big, no! That's the dumbest Shit, and the way he walks like a zombie robot. I don't know why. It's really dumb. I do, however, like the fact that Ian McDermott, when he uh, tells Anakin that he killed them in his rage, <laughs> just to be a dick about it. Like, he doesn't know that. Just before the he shot. He just says yeah. that. Like, like in the world, Palpatine doesn't know that she's dead at that point, does he? Or does he? I guess she has a big funeral held for her. I think he... But he doesn't know the children are dead. I think he'd know that she's dead, but I d- don't think he'd know specifically what killed but her. But he gambles. He's yeah. a gambler, I that did, boy. It was funny that, like, in the shot before the no, it, ha- it shows Palpatine, he's, like, smiling. I love... No, no, I love that <laughs> yeah. shot. No, no, genuinely, that's probably one of my favourite acting moments. Because here's the thing. It's not a big smile. It's it, it, He has teeth showing, but, like, it's a very quiet smile like he's in the shadows enough like it's not like big cheesy it's just like yeah, it's something that i completely yeah. forgot about the scene yeah. it's a great addition but then it's undercut with new and and him like force buckling everything in the room i thought that was a bit dumb because yeah, it, darth vader in the other movies never showed that level of force sensitivity like he could choke for sure but he never showed that he could like buckle a whole jumping. entire room into like a peanut <laughs> Yeah, ju- jumping back to what I was saying about how in the second film I could see what they were going with with uh, Padme and Anakin's conflicting feelings. I kind of feel that for that scene, it's a conflicting physical representation of where, like, if we saw Anakin's, you know, just human body 
there'd be like emotions going on there, but because he's stuck in this suit, it feels like they're still trying to have this like you know physical acting thing, but he's no. in a clunky suit. And I think even in the trivia they said they purposely made the helmet extra heavy to yeah. have this not used to thing. So it's it comes across to us like again, just like with the the romance in the second film, it comes across like oh this looks you know, like, what it looks like rather than what they were going for. It would have, you know what would have been better? They, uh... He has the mask put on him, right? And we hear the breathing and all that, and then he asks him the question in the James Earl Jones voice. What would have been better, better, you know, I think could have worked, is he has the mask put on him, and he asks the question, and Palpatine gives the answer, and you just have a brooding shot of the helmet, and the reaction is the breathing. Like, like this is just oh, him processing yeah. it, and it's just like this dark, quiet, brooding tragedy. And then that could add an extra layer to the breathing. Like, we know the breathing is because he's all fucked up, but, like, it could add something. But instead, you have the new... Yeah, and he like, destroys the room yeah, like a dickhead. If that's, like, the first time you hear the breathing. Wouldn't that be great? The that first time you hear great, the breathing yeah. is a reaction, not mm. a action. Yeah, it's not something he just does. Like, you can still have it be it's something he does, but, like, it has an extra meaning to it. Like, like the first time you hear it in this new trilogy, it has an actual <gasps> meaning. Ryan, there actually is a part earlier where you hear the breathing. Shit! Is it the bit where the old woman says, I could feel the storm in my bones, Annie? <laughs> he's no, the, it's, she's it's the best in, character in the trilogy. It's in a very odd spot. It's <laughs> at the nightclub? <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Slugs, slugs, slugs. In The Phantom Menace, right after all of the credits. Oh, well, yeah, but, like, yeah. <laughs> that's not I real. know, I know, I know. But it reminded me of um the Loquisha trailer, how it ends <laughs> with a heartbeat. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we want to mention. Like, there's lots of Star Wars things that we could touch on, but I'm trying to think, is there anything else you really want to discuss about this movie, Star Wars as a whole, or the prequels? Um, I guess I, I paid a lot of attention to the, the droid army when I was watching the prequels, because they had, they were, most of the time they were kind of this, like, I, I know they're, they're, you know, even George Lucas in behind the scenes has described them as, like, you know, pathetic, they can't do anything. <laughs> um, yeah. they do have this, it's a weird balance of, like, are they trying to be, like, you know, protocol following or like weird goofy kind of thing going on like in this film specifically in the beginning where like anakin and obi-wan have entered a room and the droids are all aiming the gun the like, elevator yeah yeah and they're like all like freeze jedi and then one of them goes roger roger and they all like in sequence say it and it's, it's like a weird comedy moment happening with these droids who in the second film and most of the first film are just like it feels like they gave them like p wimpy emotions almost yeah, they're very nebbish. Like, in the first film, the only thing I can think of is um, when Qui-Gon is taking the Naboo people to the ship to take them to Coruscant, um, he says, like, I'm taking them to Coruscant. Droid asks, where are you taking them? To Coruscant. That's yeah. The comedy doesn't really land in these movies. In this movie, the comedy never actually landed. The comedy is coming from the campiness that is intentional, but it isn't comedy, it's just campiness. Hmm. 
that is funny. The Palpatine stuff where he's like laughing. <laughs> it's funny. You laugh with him because he's having such a good time. I will say that there was one line that a droid said in the first film and a character's reaction to it that I found strangely amusing and I felt compelled to rewind and watch it again. There's yeah. a- <laughs> Did he say yeah? Yeah. No, 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 no. So, you know Newt Gunray? He's the leader of yeah, the Trade Federation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know all about Newt Gunray. He's in this one. He's in all of them. He's in Nimoynian. Fuck you, Star Trek. Did you know that Leonard Nimoy's name is Leonard Nimoy and there's a race called Nimoynians because... Oh, no, I didn't know that. He's a Nimoynian Gunray, I'm pretty sure. Someone will correct me. And they're a bunch of sleazy, corrupted, weirdo aliens because Leonard Nimoy, Nimoynian... Nimoy. Okay. Fuck you, Star Trek. That's like, it's so weird. Star Trek, from my recollections, never has had that big moment that you could point to and go, that's them sticking their fingers up at Star Wars going, fuck you. But there's so many times in Star Wars where they go out of their way to be like, fuck you, Star Trek. And you wonder why there's a rivalry there. Mm. Who knows? Yep. And I'm really sorry that we're talking about Revenge of the Sith, but I'm talking about a moment from Phantom Menace. But So there's a line, there's a scene where Newt Gunray and his other guy are like chatting about something, and then a droid walks up to him, and yeah, they have this really weird voice yeah, yeah, yeah. that like almost sounds like they're unsure of themselves, and they give this droid a line that's just a little bit too long, where <laughs> he has all of the movies, <laughs> that's every line. <laughs> And the droid basically just says, hey, I'm going to take my squad to the forest. That's the basic thing he's saying, but he's saying it a little bit too long. And with the voice that he has, it makes him sound like really nervous and unsure of himself. (laughs) And Newt Gunray just gives this like two nods reaction that really made me think of our friend Will. Yeah. So it's just this one little scene of like nervous droid saying something completely normal that serves no purpose. Mm. And yeah, it was just, I found it really weird and funny. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say. I found it funny that we didn't really want to talk about General Grievous, who's actually a big player in this movie, but we don't know who he is, and I don't care about him. I think we talked about him enough from what little we did. We talked about one scene of his and how he had died, but we didn't even talk about him dying or the fact that he wears a cape and he has multiple arms and he collects lightsabers. and He's he's a terrible character in this film, maybe in the extended universe, fine. but He gets shot dead. He gets shot dead. Like five times, I think. Five times. I always remember it being like one clean shot. Same. But it's like five times in his eyes, fire comes out of his eyes. O- Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan should have had a like Dirty Harry line, but I fire six or five. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how uncivilized. So uncivilized. The funny, the funny thing about that, because it's the thing, that's the line. It just proves again that blasters, like ranged weapons, are so much better in a sci-fi setting, yeah? Outside of me, you know, talking to you about that line a lot, it's something I hadn't really remembered. So when I watched the film, it was like, ah, here it is. But the funny thing that I found about it was that Obi-Wan, I forgot this, he shot him while he was hanging off a cliff, yeah, yeah. right? He had the low ground. He had the low ground and he <laughs> shot him and he won. And, you know, low ground, blasters are good when you got low ground. Yeah, he won. To get <laughs> to get up, he had to put the blaster down. <laughs> yeah, and then he grabs it again and throw it away. he has to pick it up again when he's up there to throw it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless he used a force force push to get up. No, no. Well, we he, saw him put it down. I saw that's him, a, like, that's lean that. his arm... Forward, put it down, get up, and then he's just holding again when he's. I'll probably show you this after whatever. There's a shot of Obi Wan's eyes when he's like jump when he jumped down and he says hello there, whatever, and they don't recognize that he's there until he says hello there. Like if he didn't say anything, no one would have noticed. Apparently, the guy jumping in the middle, like no one reacts until he says hello there. Then they all turn around like, but but there's this shot in which he's like, uh, when him and Grievous about the fight or whatever, and he goes, and now this is gonna get. 
fun or whatever, and it has a zoom close up of his eyes. I was about but to it's say. it's not framed right. <laughs> and then, then, then Obi Wan moves off frame, and he gives a little wink, and he makes this little noise. He, he makes this weird little noise, and he's like, mm. and I'm like, what is with all the weird noises? Yeah. I was about yeah. to say, weren't there like two or three moments in? I think it was just this film where you get that close up of eyes, you can't see the mouth. Yeah, which is fine. I don't mind that. But if you center it, but his was like off center, and it's very odd, and I don't know why he did it like that. Yeah. There was a star wipe. I know there's many wipes, but there was a little star one. I found that very cute. Um, uh, other than that, I can't think of much else to say. What children I... get killed. Sorry, younglings. Get younglings, killed. don't call them. <laughs> fuck, fuck you, calling them children. They're called younglings. <laughs> um, Star Wars. Is I didn't a... watch it as a youngling. So. Star Wars overall is one of these things in which I do enjoy it, but I think. I grew up with these the era of the prequels. I've lived now through the era of Disney Star Wars. And I Technically wanna... you're living. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, but like the that trilogy's over now. Yeah. What I'm gonna say is like I like Star Wars, but I've never I I mean I've technically lived, but like I cannot recollect a time in which that magical era we hear of of when everyone enjoyed Star Wars. And there was no ifs and or buts. Now we live in an era in which it seems like everyone everyone has a negative opinion of Star Wars in some way. Or it's like, it feels so toxic to even mention Star Wars. Like, like raise a Mary Sue, always... or the prequels this, or let's bully Jake Lloyd into depression. And it's just like... An Ahmed Best. An Ahmed Best nearly into suicide, and all that kind of stuff. It feels like we have lived, Bartek... In an era in which, yes, yeah, Star Wars has, ne- has never has not been good, and not just in terms of the quality of the films, but like the fan base has not been good. The fan base wanted to be Jedi, and they became prequel Jedi. I was gonna say <laughs> uh, separatists, but no. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it feels like I like Star Wars, but it feels, and I hate using this phrase, but I will, problematic. Like we had a very small window in our lives when we were four years old, five years old, in which we could live in a time in which people were excited and liked Star Wars. Now it seems people just miserable, hate it, complaining. This is just generalization I'm talking about. But, like, when I think of Star Wars now, I think of it as this big, bloated mess that's creatively bankrupt and dead ends. And I just think of all this negativity about it, and you always just think about that original trilogy, and you go, was it really just lightning in a bottle? And I think the answer is yeah. I think Star Wars was a fluke at this point. Like Luke, but with an F. Yeah, it's like Luke with an F. Uh, like, what do you think about this? Uh, when I was when I was watching the films, and I was thinking about the the angle we were going to look at, like, is this the best ending to a trilogy? I was thinking that it stands out even among the three trilogies that exist, even with the new one, uh, in that this is the only trilogy ending where there's already stuff set after it. So the original Mm. films, they are beloved, and they had that responsibility to become beloved by being really good. Yeah. the new trilogy is now set after all of that, and they didn't have to set up anything that already exists, whereas this trilogy, they 
honestly, they got to do some of their own things, but a it, lot of their own things. Some of it, a lot of it, very bad. Yeah, but uh, but it had to end a specific way. Yes. So there was that restriction going on. This was the trilogy being made that I guess technically would have had the most restrictions because there is a uh, an ending that they have to work towards. Yeah, at least they had an ending to work towards. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. At least you have a roadmap. They ended on Tatooine. One of the things that people are now saying with the prequels is the strength of them is at least they had consistency in an overarching vision. Mm -hmm. And I can't deny that. The journey for that is fucking terrible. I think the prequels are still very bad. And I think they're, they're still the worst entries in the Star Wars media. But talking about Star Wars... It's just like we can talk about it, particularly because we don't have a strong invested interest in it. But mm -hmm. talking about it with other people who do have invested interests in it, I'd want to gauge what their feelings are and then. Yeah, but that's probably you have yeah. to navigate. You can't just talk about it how you feel about it. Like Bartek and I have had this with some other things in life with with uh, with Marvel movies sometimes. Like not in general, but like when Bartek didn't like a Black Panther, when he didn't like Black Panther. Negative reaction there. Like, it's just like this weird meta reasoning behind these. It's like, as films, I cannot like these things. But in the grander scheme of, like, artistic envisionment or nostalgia in this case, we grew up in an era in which these came out when we were children. And now people our age think these films are amazing because they grew up with them. They bought the toys. They played the games. They bought the backpacks. But Bartek and I didn't have that experience we grew up with them like Bartek watched them later but we physically grew up with these movies as did we with better properties in retrospect like the Harry Potter movies are far better than than these mm -hmm. or the Lord of the Rings or, or so on and so forth uh, Star Wars as a whole very messy eventually we'll talk about the new trilogy at some point Bartek is very keen on actually witnessing The Last Jedi with his own eyes he's heard many things if we're going to keep bringing them up, I should probably see them, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the prequels, a mess overall. But they had artistic vision behind them. Like, I don't think George Lucas went in being like, I'm going to fuck everything up. But there is, he, there is a he sense did that... <laughs> have the sense of, I'm not going to accept criticism very well. And, and Fuck with, you, Leonard Nimoy. And with the new with the new trilogy, a lot of people interpret it as like George Lucas fleeing a sinking ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have t here. I'll, I'll buy. It. You can buy it for billions and billions of dollars, and I'll just sit here at the bank, counting my checks. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think. Mm -hmm. Do we recommend the film? Vengeance Sith, Do you? I think it's good enough. Yeah. I think it is too. I think it's flawed. I think it's not a good movie, but if you're looking for an entertaining movie that actually has good pacing, because mm -hmm. when I remember the prequels, I think poor pacing. I think they just fucking drag Attack of the clones, their feet. Yeah. With, with, with the prequels, this... I could remember the general like point A to point B to C of Phantom Menace and this one, not so much Attack of the Clones. Yeah, this one I think had good pacing considering it's two, two hours and 20 minute runtime. Yeah, I recommend it, oddly enough. <laughs> After all this liked... smack talk I might have had. Like I said, it's it's deep for an entertaining popcorn I was movie. literally about to say that. I really liked when you said that, and I wanted to end on that. <laughs> and like I said, I believe this to be a good-bad movie uh, in a certain regard. Like, 
What I when I think of good bad movies, we had an episode recently on Jack and Jill, and uh, our guest argued that that was a good bad movie because Adam Sandler didn't care. Mm. See, for me, and I think for you too, Bartek, what makes good bad movies is yeah. the fact that they try and fail so spectacularly. Those are the best ones, yeah. And this is a prime example. George Lucas tried, and boy, did he fucking fail. <laughs> but he did succeed in points. So He failed, but he succeeded. Yeah, I can, I can go with that. He spectacularly succeeded in failing. So that's it. Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. This was a nice, mm. chill conversation since neither of us are, you know, toxic. We're not bad fans. Oh, uh, yeah. Except for me and new Star Trek, apparently. Oh, boy. I'm a bad man who keeps making Facebook statuses about how new Star Trek fucking sucks. Except for I bring up just genuine, obvious critiques about poor writing. But whatever. That's that's what, its own thing. What's the currently newest Star Trek? Star Trek Picard. That because started? that's a thing you know. Yeah, it's two episodes, three episodes in. I haven't oh, okay. watched any. I'm waiting for it to kind of bulk out, and then on, I marathon them. That's how I do television, unless yeah. it's Better Call Saul, then I just mar- I just on week Facebook, by week that shit. On Facebook, I have you marked as close friends, so I get notifications <laughs> when you make statuses. I saw you made one about Star Trek, but I didn't read it yet. It's so funny, I didn't know. but um, so hear that, guys. Ryan says it's funny, so it must my be. status. <laughs> I made a joke about Star Trek, but uh. If you feel like uh, emailing us about your views on Star Wars or movies we've covered in the past or what you thought about our views or, or requests for movies to cover, uh, email is spitandpolished at gmail.com. It's in the description of this episode. Uh, yeah, email us through with your thoughts, uh, views on movies that we've covered or this one in particular, movies you would like us to cover. Maybe you are saying, we really want you to cover The Last Jedi real soon. Maybe not. Uh, because the next episode, which I'm going to say soon, is a listening person's request. So mm-hmm. we do take your requests and we do eventually get around to doing them. Uh, I, uh, it stays on the list until we do them. Uh, Facebook, uh, you can follow us on there. And Twitter as well. We post questions. Memes, we are, videos. We're big enough that if you type spit and polish presents into Google, there's like a little box that appears that like, this is the logo, this is the description. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're cool. We're on those, uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter, and you can catch our show on any podcatcher available. Give us a rating and review on whatever ones allow it. It really helps us and uh, makes us feel good. I don't want to go to the side of the dark. <laughs> this is controversial, but... I like feeling good. And that's weird, because Bartek doesn't like feelings. I don't. He's like a George Lucas character. Watch the mystery box. I can take anything. He can... <laughs> we can take it, all right. Um, yeah, check out our other show, The Mystery Box. That's also on this feed. Uh, so, Bartek, next episode's a listening people's request. It is indeed. And I thought about it. I looked at our list, because I hadn't looked at it in a very long time. Because mm-hmm. I had mem- mem- remembered ones, and I'm like, okay, we'll be covering this and this and this. So I was very like, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of ones I, yeah, I, I forgot I, I were there. Or recently. have been added. And one stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. One stuck one out. One of the new ones? One of the new recommendations. Okay. And I went, Bartek would enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Or hate it. I don't know. But it's something that I think would be interesting to do. The Handmaiden from 2016. Oh, one of my recommended friends. Recommended by... Which one? Stefan. Stefan, yes. One of my friends, yes. Recommended from our good friend Stefan. Uh, the Handmaiden is a 2016 film. We'll be watching the theatrical release. There's an uh, an extended copy. Is that the Korean Yes, South Korean released? movie yeah. by the guy who did Old Boy. Okay. 
the original old boy, not the Spike Lee one. Uh, so we'll be checking out the theatrical release of that. Uh, it's just easier to get our hands on, and uh, from what I understand, like both versions are very well regarded. Like it's one of those ones where it's like, what I understand is both copies are just very great films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen it before, so it'll be great to see it again. Okay, and I yes, just need so to make sure to pick the right South one. South Korean, I do believe it's on Netflix in Australia, but double check that. Okay. Um, and obviously subtitles, I don't think there are any dubs, a lot of Korean movies don't do that, from my understanding, South Korean movies don't do that, but, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be checking that out next episode, so make sure to do that, uh, if you can handle foreign films, it's also a film that deals with, uh, uh, uh lesbian romance, so if, for some reason, you're homophobe listening to us, and you don't like that, then you don't have to check it out, but... You know, if you're homophobe, just don't listen to us. I don't want to hear you. And if you're a heterophobe, uh, interesting, but you'll <laughs> like it. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, if you're straightest. So um, that's about it, Bartek. Anything you want to leave us on? Um, goodbye there. <laughs>